Good morning. Uh, when I was in uh, a new believer, probably uh, less than a year in the Lord, I had the opportunity to serve as a short-term missionary in uh, New York City. Uh, it was uh, an outreach organized by Jews for Jesus, so it was aimed especially to try to reach uh, Jewish people uh, for the Lord. And I think it was during the training for that time that I was taught a question to ask people. And uh, the question is, uh, if you died and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? If you died and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And it's a great question uh, for at least a couple of reasons. One, uh, it makes people think about eternity, something that people don't often do. Uh, we, are, we tend to be so occupied with uh, the things of this world, uh, with what's on our, our phone screen, uh, that we don't think about eternity. Uh, I'm here uh, by the Lord's grace. I've enjoyed uh, 48 uh, years or Coming this August, it'll be 48 years on earth. I probably don't have another 48 years remaining here on the earth. Uh, I should be thinking of eternity, of what comes after death. And so that, that's one of the reasons this is a good question. If you died and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? Right, I should be thinking about that. Um, and the other is, what is it that people trust in would get them to heaven? Now, a lot of people may just have never thought about it. Right? I was raised uh, uh, in Israel uh, as, a, as an atheist or an agnostic. Nobody uh, that I knew, I shouldn't say nobody that I knew, most of the people I knew didn't really think about God. They didn't take God seriously. So they wouldn't have thought about heaven. But those people who have, those people who are willing to seriously think about the question, uh, would typically... Uh, trust in something to make sure they would be okay after they die. And it might be that they're a good person. They might say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I, I try to follow the law most of the time. I, you know, I try to be kind to people. Uh, so that should be good enough to get me into heaven. Right? That's what probably most people would say. Some people would say something like, well, I go to church, right? Um, my uh, neighbors a few years back were Catholics and... Uh, he didn't just go to church, but his brother was a priest in the Catholic Church. And that was an extra assurance he had that he would go uh, to heaven. Uh, today, we would think about those who might say, well, I'm a Jew, so I know that I'm going to heaven. Right? That's what Paul uh, was dealing with uh, in this particular passage. So we've been going through the the book of Romans, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And he's in a section where he's uh, knocking down uh, all the different things people are trusting in to get them into heaven. He's anticipating the question, and he anticipates the different kind of answers people would give to the question. And he's in the process of showing them that none of those things would actually get them to heaven. <clears throat> now, the goal isn't to prove to people they're going to hell. Paul wouldn't be that interested in doing that. The goal was to help people 
put their faith in the Lord Jesus and the complete work he did for our salvation. Jesus has done everything necessary to get every uh, man, woman, and child into heaven. There's plenty of provision. The problem is people will not trust in what Jesus did for them because either they don't think about it, right? They don't, are not uh, anticipating eternity, or they're trusting in something other than Jesus. And Paul is in the process of showing them all these things they've been trusting in were not good enough to get them into heaven. So with that, let's start reading in our passage. So we are in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. I broke the passage we'll cover into three parts. It would be just a bit much to read through all of it at once. So we'll, we'll, we'll read a portion, we'll talk about it, and then we'll move on to the next portion. So Romans chapter 2, verse 17 says, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So first, why would a Jew think that by the simple virtue of being a Jew, uh, they can count on <coughs> going to heaven? Well, um, the Jews were God's uh, chosen people. Right? So they could make a boast in the fact God chose them. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So knowing that you were chosen by God out of all the nations of the world, uh, to be a special treasure to God, right? Wouldn't that give you confidence that you are right with God? Uh, it did to the Jews. Uh, they were given the law of God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, you, this is Nehemiah speaking to God, you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You have the privilege of knowing the truth of God, knowing God's revelation. God himself came from heaven to talk to you and your people and give to you his law. Again, it will give you great confidence. I must be right with God, right? 
if I have such, uh, such blessings from heaven, how is it, how can I not but trust that God has a place for me in heaven as well? And yet, and yet, we see in the scripture that it's not so. Just because a person is a Jew does not assure that they will go to heaven. In Matthew chapter 3, if you would remember, John the Baptist came uh, in, uh, in Judea. He was baptizing people in the Jordan. And uh, there it says in Matthew chapter 3, but when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. So these were the religious elite of the nation of Israel. If anyone in Israel could have confidence that by virtue of their standing, their earthly standing, they can also be assured in a place in heaven, it would be these people. And when John the Baptist sees them, he says to them, brood of vipers, also to be interpreted children of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruits is cut down and thrown into the fire. Right? John is speaking to a Jewish audience and warning them of the wrath to come. He's promising that God will cut down the tree and throw it into the fire, even though they were Jews. And if you would, you know, the very elite of the Jewish society, they were not guaranteed a place in heaven. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has uh, been uh, invited or asked to heal a centurion servant. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And the centurion says, you don't even need to come. <laughs> Just say the word. My servant will be healed. <clears throat> it says in Matthew 8, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The centurion was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And Jesus continued saying, and I say to you that many will come from east and west, and he's speaking about Gentiles, coming from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, that is the Jews, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is speaking of people in hell. And he's describing them as Jews. Being a Jew does not assure you of a place in heaven. Now, we're not saying that all Jews will be in hell. Praise God. It's not the case. I thought there's a provision for all Jews to come to heaven. But those who trust in their Jewishness as being a means into heaven will be sorely disappointed. We see from these verses. Uh, we, we talked about the fact that they boasted of the knowledge in the law. It said in verse 18, uh, the Jews, they knew his will. They knew the will of God. They approved the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. <clears throat> they are confident of being a guide uh, uh, to the blind, meaning uh, to the Gentiles, right? A light to those who are in darkness, darkness an instructor of the foolish, 
teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Uh, the Jews had a great knowledge of who God was and what God's law was, which the Gentiles uh, did not have. But knowledge will only get you so far. Uh, I work at a company that uh, is in the process of hiring, right? That we would like to hire uh, engineers and, and other uh, qualified workers. And to find the people we would like to hire, we ask them to apply. <clears throat> and part of the application would be submitting a resume. And in the resume, typically you have two parts. Uh, usually on top and the shorter portion would be what we would call your educational background. It will say this person has a, a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD uh, in physics or uh, computers or material science or something that will be applicable to the particular job that they apply for. And, and we look at that. It's important to know what kind of education they have. But the greater portion and the one we will look at uh, even more closely describes their work experience. And uh, we will also ask them to submit, um, uh, what do you call those? References, right? People we could call and say, okay, uh, John Smith is applying for this position. We understand he worked in your company for, for three years. Can you tell us a little bit about him and how well he did? And uh, if, uh, if the report is not good, if they said, well, yeah, John Smith was here for three years and I wish I could tell you some of the good things he did while he was here, but uh, he barely showed up to work. And when he showed up to work, uh, he was mostly on his phone. Uh, really, I, I, can't, I can't recommend him as much as I, I feel bad about doing that. We will not hire John Smith. Even though he has the educational qualification, his, uh, his record of performance uh, is so poor that he does not qualify a job at our company. And the same would be true about the Jews. Yes, they had great knowledge, but Paul continues saying, uh, you therefore who teach another, you're teaching people about God and God's law, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, you rob temples? You who make your boast of the law, in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Jews were there. They were telling <coughs> the Gentiles, the Gentile neighbors, about the great God that they had and about the law that God gave them. But the performance of that law was so inadequate that the Gentiles spoke poorly of God because of how poorly the Jews were performing, uh, living up to the standards that they were preaching, right? Uh, the track record of the Jews showed that uh, they didn't deserve to be in heaven. Just because they knew the law of God didn't mean that they deserved uh, uh, to be uh, in heaven. It says this in Jeremiah 17, Actually, I'll start with Jeremiah 13. It says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? So the Ethiopian would be a black person with black skin. Can he change his skin? Or the leopard, his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do 
evil. What Jeremiah was saying, look, you can't change. You're, you're accustomed to doing evil, and you're not able to do good. In Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The problem is in our hearts, right? Our hearts are wicked. It doesn't help that my mind might know about the good things God wants me to do if my heart is a wicked heart that doesn't desire to do the things of God, but instead desire to do those things that God hates. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. God doesn't repay us according to our knowledge. He repays us according to what we do. I may know all these wonderful things that I should be doing, and yet I don't do them. And instead, I'm doing all these terrible things that I know I must not do. What should God judge me based on? What I know or what I'm doing? He should judge me based on what I am doing. And based on that, uh, the Jew cannot have a confidence that they're going to heaven. Their, their performance demonstrates they do not deserve uh, to go to heaven. Again, not picking on the Jews, just showing that by virtue of being a Jew, by virtue of knowing the will of God will not uh, get me into heaven. Let's continue uh, reading uh, in, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 25. <clears throat> it says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Uh, circumcision is a, is a surgical procedure that uh, was to be performed on, uh, on Jewish boys on the eighth day where the foreskin is, is removed. And it was commanded by God in Genesis 17. God is speaking to Abraham here. And he says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So the circumcision was simply a mark on, on the Jews or Jewish men. Uh, to uh, remind them of the covenant that they had with God. Uh, it was a covenant of, uh, of the law. They, God revealed his law to them. As long as they would keep the law, they would be blessed above every other nation on the face of the earth. If they would break God's law, instead they would be judged, uh, which is what ended up happening. But uh, I'm thinking about this circumcision as... Um, as like a membership, right? It was a sign that the Jews were members in this covenant. You would see 
your circumcision, it was reminding you I'm, I'm part of this covenant, right, that God has uh, with his chosen people. Uh, now, we have uh, different membership cards. We have a membership to the library. We have a membership to uh, Costco. And uh, these membership cards allow us to go in to the library and check out book or go into Costco and buy the merchandise. Um, now, one of the things that people like about Costco is the return policy. You could, you could return something uh, indefinitely, right? If, if you buy it and it's not good, there's no, uh, I don't know, expiration date on the return. Uh, and sometimes people will abuse it, right? Now, I have, uh, I think the, the longest I've gone is maybe two or three years. I had a printer. Um, after two or maybe three years, it went bad. And I was like, well, you know, Costco says I can return it. Personally, I think my printer should last more than two or three years, so I'll try. And Costco took it back and gave me a new printer. I was <laughs> like, what a deal. Um, but uh, if you abuse your membership privileges, it can be taken away from you. Uh, if, if we stopped returning books to the library, we just kept checking them out, the library would say, sorry, you can't borrow any more books. Uh, if you abuse your membership with uh, Costco, which people have done, they brought back uh, empty bottles of wine <laughs> and said, this wasn't good. Uh, give me back my money. They brought back items, uh, you know, five, ten years after they purchased them. And uh, Costco can revoke your membership. Right? They said, you've, you've, you've violated uh, your privileges as a member, and we will take your membership away. And uh, this is what uh, happened to the Jews. Yes, they had a covenant with God, but they kept breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. And after hundreds of years, God said no more. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8 records this for us. It's actually quoting uh, from the prophets, so it wasn't just in the New Testament. You can find this in the Old Testament as well. But Paul is describing this process. Uh, Hebrews 8 and verse 7 says, For if that first covenant, meaning this covenant we just described, the covenant God had with his chosen people, with Israel, uh, based on them keeping his law, if it had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, God found fault with the Jewish performance of this covenant. He says, because he found fault with them, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The wonderful thing is God didn't give up on the Jewish people. He just acknowledged the failure of the old covenant. You guys cannot keep the law, like we said. The problem was with their heart. They couldn't stop sinning. Even though they had a good law, because of their, of their sinful heart, they could not live up to that law. They couldn't continue with that covenant. But then God had to plan for a new one. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with the Father. It's not going to be based on the performance of the law, right? It's going to be a new, a different kind of covenant. Uh, not, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So they didn't continue, they failed, and as a result, uh, that covenant was null and void, like 
Costco taking your membership and saying, sorry, null and void, you're no longer a member here. Like the library taking your card away, saying, sorry, you no longer have a right uh, into this library. The Jews no longer had a right to claim uh, the benefit of a covenant with God. But now there's a new covenant, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now there will be a new covenant. And part of the new covenant was that God was going to change their hearts. And now we see that circumcision was more than just a uh, membership card. It was designed as a picture to show what it was that God wanted to have with the Jewish people. And we read it as we were reading in Romans chapter 3. Right? Paul said, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is, is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. It wasn't the outward body that God wanted to change, it was the inward heart that God wanted to change. He wanted to, to have people who were sensitive to his laws, and to his desire, and wanted to do the things that please God. That's why we needed a new heart. That's why we needed that, if you want to call it a circumcision uh, of the heart. Deuteronomy 30 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Again, Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So that's God's desire for the Jewish people, and God's desire for each and every one of us is to have a heart for God, to desire to do those things that please God, and then there will be a praise from God that God desires uh, that's what God is pleased with. Um, we'll finish our passage with the first verse, uh, eight verses of Romans chapter 3. So again, just continuing along. I know there's a chapter break, but our passage doesn't end there. Uh, and, and just as a preview before we read it, uh, this might be a little bit more difficult to, to follow. Remember the question I asked at the beginning, right? Uh, if... Uh, you were to die, and God was to ask you, why shall I let you into my heaven? Uh, what would you say? People have all kinds of reasons uh, of why they think they will be okay, of why they don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them after they die. And sometimes uh, the reasons might surprise you, uh, and they might sound kind of silly, right? But unless you ask, you won't know. And Paul, over the years... Uh, had many, many opportunities to talk to people, and he always would go into a synagogue and try to reason with people. So he's, he's heard all kinds of reasons of why Jewish people, uh, in spite of, of what we just talked about, still had excuses or reasons of why they thought uh, they were okay and they didn't have to worry about being judged by God. And so here he, 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 takes some of the, he brings some of them out because he knows his audience is going to have some of them are going to have these same arguments of why they don't have to worry about being judged by God. 
and, and he will, again, knock the pin out from under them, show why their excuses are not valid, okay? Just as introduction uh, to this section. So Romans 3, uh, verse 1, uh, what advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly, because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Okay, we'll try to take it piecemeal. There's three different arguments in this passage of why I don't have to worry about being judged by God, right, as a Jew, right? Um, again, all of them are false, false confidences, which Paul will try to show up. So the first one was, what advantage is the Jew? <clears throat> so the, the argument here is, is something like this. You know, if being a Jew doesn't get me to heaven, doesn't give me a free ticket, a get-out-of-jail card, right? <clears throat> if being a Jew doesn't get me a get-out-of-hell card, what advantage is there in being a Jew, right? I mean, it sounds like a good argument, and the corollary is, therefore, by being a Jew, I do have a get-out-of-hell free card, and I, I'm fine, Right? So Paul's answer is the Jews do have an advantage. In fact, he says they have advantage in every way, but he focuses on the fact that they have the word of God. To them were committed the oracles of God. What a blessing to the Jews that they had the Bible in their hand, right? Uh, think of uh, you know, some tribesmen in an island you know, in the middle of the ocean. What opportunity does that person have to know the God of the universe? What an advantage for the Jews who had the word of God in their hands. I mean, yes, it wasn't a get-out-of-hell-free card, but it was still a huge advantage uh, that the Jews had. So they have, they have enough of an advantage without it, right? So enough to justify being God's chosen people. The second argument is this. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness, faith, faithfulness of God without effect. And this argument might go along the line of, you know, uh, why should I worry about God's judgment when you're telling me that God's own people, you know, don't believe, right? God's own people are not following his word. They don't believe what his word says. Why should I worry about God's word telling me that he will judge me for my sins, right? Their, their, their unbelief in the word of God appears to make the word of God you know, less valid. Why should, why should we today be following a book of a people who forsook the Lord themselves, right? Didn't they know what they were doing, right, when they chose to disbelieve the word of God? And Paul's answer to that is certainly not, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and overcome when you are judged. 
And, and the, the answer that Paul is, is giving is that, well, God's own word predicted, right, that his own people will not believe him, right? Their, their disbelief in God is not an argument against the word of God. It's an argument for the word of God because God predicted it, right? They, you know, if you look at, at the Old Testament, right, the book that the Jews will acknowledge is the word of God, is it describing them as faithfully following God? No, <laughs> it's describing them as being unfaithful to God again and again and again. The Jewish people rejection of the word of God is consistent with the word of God. <laughs> it's exactly what it says will happen. And so it validates it, right? The failure of the Jewish people validates the accuracy of the word of God. Right? It's not an argument against uh, the word of God. Okay, which brings us to the third argument, right? And this is probably the most twisted one of them. But again, people make this argument, and so we need to think through them and provide an answer. The third argument is this. <clears throat> but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And the argument here is, well, wait a second, you're telling me that God's word says that I will be unfaithful to him. So when I'm being unfaithful to God, I'm proving the truth of God's word, which means I'm, in a sense, glorifying God. I'm showing how great and true God is. So why am I still being judged as a sinner? Right? If my very rejection of God proves God is true, then God shouldn't judge me for my sin, right? because I'm showing how great God is. Right? It's twisted, right? Uh, think of this. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to make light of, of this terrible murder. Right? We all know what happened a couple of weeks ago in Texas. Uh, a young man went with, with a rifle and, and murdered, uh, I think, 21 people. Uh, and, uh, and, and most of them young children. Right? Imagine him going before the judge and saying, well, I want you to recognize this judge, that by the terrible thing that I've done, I've just showed how good the rest of you were, because you guys didn't go with a gun and shoot 20 people. So since I showed how good you all are, you shouldn't punish me for what I've done. Right? I mean, that's a terrible argument. Right? No judge will accept it. No jury would accept it. We want justice. You've done now, we know this person died, right? So he's never going to have an opportunity to go before a judge. Right? But, but our heart demands justice for this terrible crime that was committed. And that reflects God's nature. Our hearts feel the need for justice because that's the way God is. God has a need for justice, right? Whenever a sin is committed, God feels the need of, of demonstrating how terrible that sin was and make sure that whoever committed that sin pays the consequence for that sin, right? God is just, and because he is just, he must, he must punish sin, right? This, this argument that's being used would suggest that God is not just. And because God is just, uh, sin must be punished. Okay, so that was just going through those arguments and, and showing, again, there's just nothing. Uh, there is no, no argument I can come up with that will justify me before God uh, as a Jew. 
right? Now, you know, it's, it can be hard for us to go through these chapters, right? Because they're filled with bad news. They, they're filled with, with showing that we all deserve God's judgment. But the reason Paul goes through these passages is because there is a provision for us. We don't have to be judged by God because Jesus paid the penalty that we deserve because of, because of our sins. Uh, somebody asked me uh, before the message, uh, is here Joanna, there she is, and I, I begged the opportunity to answer the question during my sermon, uh, but she said, when did the sacrifices stop? So in the Old Testament, right, uh, we see that God commanded the nation of Israel to offer animal sacrifices. In fact, about half the laws uh, another interesting coincidence uh, this week, uh, in Eliana's uh, graduation, there were 613 uh, graduates, 613 people who walked across the stage. It took them maybe an hour and a half. I didn't actually time it, but it was a long time sitting in the sun, listening to name after name after name being read out. Uh, in the law of, laws of, the reason that kind of triggered something in my mind, the law of Moses, there are 613 commandments. Right? It's not just the 10 commandments, 613 commandments. About half of them have to do with uh, animal sacrifices being offered in the tabernacle, uh, how to approach God. And... Uh, <clears throat> All of those laws are are being ignored today. When a person tells you he's a Jew, you could say, well, you know, do you keep Moses' law? If any of them says yes, you know that they're lying to you. Because at least half of the laws in the book of Moses, they cannot keep. Because they have to do with bringing animal sacrifices to the tabernacle or later the temple in Jerusalem. They They may keep other laws, or think they are, right? I mean, even the ones that they think they keep, they don't keep perfectly. Nobody can. Nobody can really keep the law. But about half of them have to do with bringing animal sacrifices. And the question uh, Joanna asked me is, when did that stop? And the answer, it stopped 40 years after Jesus came. 40 years after Jesus came, they stopped. And the next question she asked me is, why? <laughs> why did they stop offering? And... Uh, and there's two answers. You could think about the human side of it. The human side of it, uh, well, they couldn't, right? The temple was destroyed. And the animal sacrifices could only be offered in the temple of God. You couldn't go somewhere else and offer the sacrifices. God said, you have to bring them to me because they were a picture of how to approach God. God was in the temple, and to approach God, you had to bring an animal sacrifice to atone for your sin. Because we were sinners, God was holy. In order to approach God, there had to be an animal offered. And the animal had to be slain, the blood had to be shed. And that was a picture of what was necessary in order for us as sinners to come to God. From a human point of view, they stopped because they had to stop. God allowed the Romans to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. There was no more way. The Jews on their own, or we talked about that a little bit too, the Pharisees, the rabbis, uh, they, they met about 20 years later in Yavne, in northern Israel, and they had an option. They could have said, well, God, 
you know, wants us to rebuild the temple because without rebuilding the temple, we can't approach him. Uh, or, and that's the path they took, let's say God no longer wants sacrifices. And that's what they did. They said, God no longer wants sacrifices, don't worry about it. Right? Well, actually, not that you shouldn't worry about it, but it's okay if you just pray to God right? and you fast. Right? That would be good enough if you want to approach God. There's no basis in the scripture to what they say. Right? So going back, why did the sacrifices stop? Well, it's a funny coincidence. <laughs> the temple was destroyed 40 years after Jesus came. Now, the number 40 in the Old Testament is often a number of testing. Right? The Jews were tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? Uh, they were, in a sense, tested when Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. Right? Will they stay faithful to God? They couldn't stay faithful for 40 days. Right? They, you know, they brought out the golden calf and started sacrificing to it. It was the number of testing of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. Right? He, he was there 40 days uh, fasting, and the devil came and tempted him. In a sense, the 40 years after Jesus came were a time of testing for the nation of Israel. Will they receive him as the Messiah? We know they rejected him as a Messiah when he came, but now that he died, he fulfilled uh, God's promise to them. He made a way to heaven. There was an opportunity for the nation of Israel to believe in him, right? But no, they kept going to the altar, to the temple, to sacrifice animal sacrifices. And like God says, this is over. I have now made the real provision for you in the Lord Jesus. And God basically closed that other pathway. Because they know now you have to come uh, through my son. Hebrews uh, describes it, and we'll close with this passage. Uh, Hebrews, um, I believe this is in chapter 9. Uh, cleverly, I didn't write the chapter, so you'll have to check me on it later. Verse 11 uh, says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And what Paul, not Paul, well, maybe Paul, debatable, in the book of Hebrews, uh, he, he uses the Jewish knowledge, right, of how to approach God, and he points it all to Jesus. And he shows how, yes, they had the earthly priests, but Jesus was the greater priest. Yes, they had the tabernacle, but Jesus was offering the greater tabernacle. Yes, they had the animal sacrifices, but Jesus was offering the greater uh, sacrifice. He was ultimately the fulfillment of all these things. Uh, and so it describes Jesus as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal, the eternal inheritance. So you have a choice. I started with the question, uh, 
If you were to die and God was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You can trust in being a Jew, if you are one. You could trust in, you know, being a good person. You could trust in uh, the fact that uh, God will not judge anyone for their sins. Or you could trust in the fact that there is no, no God, right? I mean, you, you could choose, uh, but uh, Jesus offered himself so you would have an answer, answer. You could point to the blood of Christ. You could point to what Jesus did on the cross and say, God, this is why you should let me into heaven, because of what Jesus did for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize, Lord, uh, the heart is deceitful uh, uh, above all things and desperately wicked. Uh, And yet, Lord, uh, you did not want us to remain in our sins, but you made a a way uh, for our hearts to be cleansed and for us to have a place with you uh, in heaven. Lord, we pray for anyone who might be listening to uh, this message that uh, you would help them see that there is nothing else they could put their confidence in to get them into heaven, but you have provided for them that perfect substitute uh, in the Lord Jesus dying in their place on the cross so they can uh, have confidence in him and what he has done for them as a means through which they could be cleansed and, and uh, spend an eternity in, uh, with, uh, with you uh, in heaven. And uh, we thank you for that provision in Jesus' name. Amen.